0: don't ever accept anything in your life that is not of God just lying down. I'm talking about things like sickness or disease or financial assault or distress or the backslidden condition of a brother or sister or or a parent or a child. Don't ever accept Something that's going on in your world, in your sphere of influence. Uh, Don't ever accept something that is not of God in your life. Because I think one of the big problems in life is that we let things happen rather than fighting back. And the devil's objective is to intimidate, to instill fear so that we don't fight back. We have the example, of course, of uh, the war between Israel and the Philistines uh, uh, when Goliath uh, had so intimidated the children of Israel. Something uh, that is not of God is happening, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, giant Goliath is blaspheming uh, and cursing uh, and threatening, uh, and the children of Israel are not fighting back. Until David comes along, and what had been acceptable to them was not acceptable to David. And he said, is there not a cause? Let's fight. The recent tragic events of these mass shootings that have happened uh, in our country over the last, let's just take the last few years or so, in movie theaters in places of employment, on army bases, in a nightclub the other day, and there are others, schools, of course, a lot of times these evil acts play out, no one is ready, no one is prepared, No one is equipped and armed to resist and fight back and stop the madness. A lot of times by the time the first responders show up, all the damage has been done. And there's a fairly unhelpful mentality that is pervasive. And it is that Something like that's not going to happen to me. Tragedy will never come my way. Some of you have experienced things in your life that you thought would never happen. You'd never have to walk through the territory that you've walked through. You'd never have to experience uh, some of the things that you've experienced in life. Uh, And so when we say, it won't happen to me, uh, and then if it does, uh, we think someone else will fight the battle. Someone else will step in on our behalf. The reality is... uh, that things do happen, uh, and that someone else never arrives, uh, or at least not in time. Now, we're going to look at a story. I kind of gave a good introduction to this sermon a week and a half ago when I preached uh, from the book of Nehemiah on the subject of rebuilding. You can recall that uh, a little bit. But we're going to look at a story where common... Ordinary people like us were doing a work for God and when they came under assault they decided we're going to hold our ground we're going to fight back and we're not going to allow the enemy to determine the course that our life is going to go. We're going to have something to say about it. Too often in life I think We don't fight back when we can, or we just simply give up. The situation has been in place for so long, we just simply accept it as the way things are, the way things have to be, and we stop fighting back sometimes. We have the option to fight back, and if we do, Things can change for the better in our lives, with our families, in our church. We are preparing for two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, of fasting and prayer, and I want to present this sermon as a way of inspiring you to participate in that, but not just for these two days, but To hopefully establish something that is going to set the wheels in motion for the rest of your life. So let's read our text. It's Nehemiah chapter eleven, chapter four, verse eleven. We'll just read the story and then I'll kind of set the stage as we move through the message tonight. And our adversary said, This is verse eleven, chapter four, and our adversary said. This is what the enemies of the people of God are saying. They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, there will be upon us. Therefore, this is Nehemiah responding to this threat He said, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families, with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose. And I said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us. And that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, uh, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, uh, uh, and wore armor. Uh, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens uh, loaded themselves, so that with one hand they worked at construction, uh, and with the other hand they held a weapon. And every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work. Half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Fight back. So let's talk about the battleground of life. And I know that there are a lot of people, we're kind of used to uh, discourse and rhetoric and discussion and preaching about spiritual warfare, but there are a lot of people that don't like to view life in this context. But it is reality, life is a battleground. We're fighting for things in our marriages, in our families, in our finances, and in our church. And you better get used to the idea. The battleground of life is not all that there is to life. But there are moments and there are seasons where you have to rally yourself and we have to rally together. And you are going to have to fight for the things that matter to us in life. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Too often, we only think of fighting... As in a bad sense, sometimes that mentality can take over a a political party or even a government where all war and all fighting is all bad and it has to be avoided at all costs. While we may not like war, we don't like to fight, we don't have to send men and women into the battlefield. We know as a nation that it is necessary. This word that the Apostle Paul uses uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word fight there, fight the good fight of faith, uh, the word refers to a battle, a struggle fraught with danger, uh, where death could be the result. Now, of course, this is referring to the spiritual realm, where the stakes are very high. Either your spiritual life, your calling, your future... God's will for you is going to be preserved and it's going to, it's going to survive the assaults of life or things all around us and in us are going to die if we don't fight. Marriages can die. Love can die. Calling can die. Burden and passion for souls can die. Timothy wrote, some, uh, Paul rather, some of his very last words, in a prison cell, uh, under a death sentence. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Uh, I have kept the faith. Now, the quality of your spiritual life right now testifies to how well you have been fighting this battle. Have you been able to preserve your joy, your victory, your burden, your calling, your marriage, your relationships? Have you been able to push back uh, on all the assaults that are trying to infiltrate your life uh, and your relationships uh, and your heart and your spirit? The quality of your spiritual life testifies... How good a fighter you are. Not going to settle for defeat. Not going to settle for loss. Not going to settle for setback. Now, we may not always succeed, but we are going to fight back. Now, let's look at our story. Nehemiah is in the process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and taking away the terrible reproach. That the inhabitants of Jerusalem were suffering under by virtue of their enemies. I gave the history last week, but let me make a few other points, a few of the same points. Israel first returned from a 70 year captivity in 536 BC. They came back. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt infrastructure. They rebuilt the homes. They reoccupied the city, but they never rebuilt the walls. Ninety-two years pass. They're vulnerable. They're weak. They're subject to enemies. They live in fear, and they live in reproach. And that had become the status quo. Oh, well, I just guess that's the way things have to be. I mentioned to you last week, the walls were four and a half miles long, 40 feet tall and eight feet thick, and they had been dismantled. The gates had been burned. It was too monumental of a task. They had felt we can live without them. Who needs walls anyway? Uh, and we're just going to accept this as the situation. And then, from 800 miles away, Nehemiah's in Babylon and a messenger comes from Jerusalem. And tells him the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in distress and reproach. That's how they're living. That is the accepted status quo that they're living in. They're in distress. They're in reproach. There's something that they can do about it, but they don't do, it. They don't do anything about it. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Gates are burned with fire. So it was, Nehemiah writes, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. He said, you know what? We're fighting back. What had become acceptable to the children of Israel was not acceptable to Nehemiah. What had become acceptable to the army of Israel in the battlefield against the Philistines was not acceptable to David. It's evident that the enemies in the land had allowed them to rebuild everything but the walls. For that, they were going to have to put up a fight, and up until this point, they're just simply unwilling. They're more inclined just to accept broken-down walls... Broken-down marriage, uh, broken-down finances, uh, broken-down calling, broken-down relationships. Uh, Yeah, it causes some distress, uh, and we it affects our conscience. Uh, We don't have total peace. uh, But hey, fighting back is hard, and it's costly. When you are unwilling to fight back, you have to settle for less than what God actually has for your life. God can't give you everything He has for you. You have to fight for some things. And the things that He does give you, you have to fight to preserve and keep them intact. My prayer is, after 40 One year's of being a Christian, I am still growing, still have a burden. My calling is still intact. It's going to take a lot of fighting and a lot of contending because if we're not very careful, enemies can infiltrate, intimidate, and we end up losing the very valuable things that God has given us. So Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the walls. And I think I read this verse last week. Nehemiah 2.18, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words, that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to do this good work. So they got everybody on board. Everybody's rallied now. After 92 years, uh, after being uh, uh, fed up with the distress and the reproach uh, and the enemies ridiculing and mocking and controlling and governing and overseeing their daily affairs, uh, they said, let's rise up, uh, let's build, uh, let's do something about that. Uh, And as I said in the message a week and a half ago, uh, that is a powerful picture uh, of Christianity uh, and the Christian life. God is into rebuilding, uh, rebuilding people's lives, rebuilding families rebuilding a a calling, a destiny, uh, and a future uh, that have been wrecked by sin and neglect. Uh, God is into rebuilding cities and nations uh, that have become spiritually bankrupt. Uh, This is the business that God is into. And the reality is uh, that every work of God uh, is not going to come about without uh, opposition. As soon as they begin to rebuild, first day, the plot begins to thicken. It gets the attention of their enemies. Their enemies are not going to allow this. They think. Once the walls go up, You can determine who comes in and goes out. You can defend and protect yourself. You can live in safety. The walls mean everything. They have economic consequences. Safety and prosperity and blessing are part of what this is all about. They can defend and protect themselves. And so the enemies are saying, no way are we going to allow this. We benefit too much from this city being there without walls. In verse 11 of our text, the enemy said, the adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst, kill them, and cause the work to cease. Listen, be very cognizant of the fact that that's the devil's objective. He wants to kill and cause the work of God to cease, whether it's in a church... Whether it's in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in terms of your calling, He wants to kill that calling and prevent the work of God from advancing. And of course that can happen on many levels. In our text here, it's physical walls to protect the physical city. In our lives there are spiritual dynamics that this is representative of. Now, they hear this. They hear the enemy's plot. They come and report it to Nehemiah, and he immediately devises a strategy to counter this assault. What strategy do you have in place right now to protect your family, to protect your calling, to protect your marriage? Immediately, when Nehemiah ascertains that There's an assault coming. He devises a strategy. And he begins to spell it out. Verse 16, "...so it was, uh, half of my servants worked on construction... The other half held spears, shields, bows, and wore armor. Uh, They had some of the men working with one hand, a weapon in their other hand. Others had swords girded. When they came in from the work in the evening, they not only were coming to rest and refresh themselves and to eat and to bathe, but they also had to be on guard. And this is a powerful and a very accurate picture of what serving God is like that we need to accept. They were then, they were then as we are now. We are, if you want a description of who we are, what we are, what our calling is, a very succinct description, it is that we are builders and we are battlers. We are both. We're not just one. Be nice uh, if all we had to do in life was build and construct. uh, That's exciting. Uh, I love watching projects and building uh, and construction. Buildings go up uh, and such things. Uh, But besides being builders uh, and having a vision for building, uh, we also have to be battlers. Uh, In our text, they're building, uh, they're constructing, uh, they have tools in one hand, uh, and they have weapons uh, to fight uh, in the other hand. they are saints, and they are soldiers, and the problem is that many people view, many people, uh, never view their spiritual life in this context. Nehemiah is trying to restore a city the way it once was. You've got a picture. Jerusalem, 500 years previous to this, under David and Solomon, it was the wealthiest city, the most powerful city, the most beautiful city. It literally was the center of the world people were paying tribute to the king of Israel there's a story in the bible about candace queen of the ethiopians who went and and just to see and was blown away by what she saw the wealth and the and the beauty and the prestige and so this city 500 years later had been destroyed and now they're engaged in the hard business of rebuilding, even after 92 years of reoccupation, reconstructing the temple, rebuilding infrastructure, rebuilding homes, and actually living in the city once again. After 92 years, it is still a shadow of its former self. And again, I can't think of a better picture of what Christianity is all about. Let's take that beautiful city of Jerusalem 500 years previous as your life. Saved. Called. Presence of God. Joy, victory, advance. Answering altar calls. Protecting your calling. And over time, slowly, assaults begin to come. And we're not so reticent to protect ourselves and to guard. We start allowing for compromise. And we start allowing for lukewarmness. We start making room for a little sin here and a little sin there. And there doesn't seem to be any difference from one day to the next. But you flash forward ten years. uh, If you could see where you're going to go and be ten years from now, you would stop the compromise immediately if you knew where it was leading. And I wonder what has become of you here today, what has become of our calling, our relationship with God, our prayer life, our love, our passion for the things of God. There's an active struggle to prevent the work of God from advancing in your life. So let's talk about fighting back. You know, the first, this is an interesting story, because a lot of times we don't see ourselves as warriors, soldiers, we would rather be spectators. The first major battle of the Civil War took place just outside of Washington, D.C. It was called the Battle of Bull Run. People came, the, the, the battle was announced, I guess. Family members of the soldiers and the population of the city came out to the place where the battle was going to be fought with picnic baskets to watch, to be a spectator, until their side started to lose and they had to flee and run for their lives. The idea of being a spectator in the run-up to World War II. There was a real hesitancy that was pervasive in America to get involved in the war theater in Europe and the threats that were underway in the Pacific theater. Most of the population of America didn't want to get involved. Until December 7th, 1941, when Pearl Harbor in Oahu, Hawaii was attacked and bombed by the Japanese, that woke us up. And it was then that we decided we're going to have to fight back now. Because if we don't, we're going to be overrun. See, you're going to have to be prepared to fight as a Christian. As a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a member of a church and a fellowship that has a vision to advance the gospel around the world. We don't have the option of taking the position of being a builder and not being a battler. Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar verse. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Notice he starts that discourse with we, not I. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are so many heroic accounts and stories of people who had no intention of fighting. Their skill as a warrior had yet been unrealized. And then they're attacked. Then something precious to them is under assault. We've read stories about teachers in these school shootings who sacrificed their lives, in one case that I know of, in order to try to protect her children. Others who fought back against home invasions. And sometimes it's on a national level. An attack, a surprise attack comes uh, and a decision has to be made. We're going to have to fight back. We know a little bit or a lot of the history of Winston Churchill. I've read quite a bit about him, the British prime minister uh, during World War II. He was a warrior and a battler. He saw the threat coming. Uh, even from the mid-30s, he saw that uh, it was going to end up in a great uh, world uh, uh, war. And in the run-up to the war... His daughter asked him, everybody in England is scared and frightened, the Germans are bombing London and they want to invade the island and take control of it. And so his little daughter, or his adult daughter rather, asked him and said, what do I do if the Germans come? And he replied, get a knife. In other words, you, dear, are going to have to fight back in order to protect what is valuable to you. You have to fight for your own spiritual life. You have to fight to maintain your salvation. You have to fight to maintain your calling. You have to fight to to advance the will of God in your life. If you don't want to just remain stagnant in your Christian life, you want to gain territory. You want more of what God has for you. You're going to have to fight for every square inch because... Every work of God, as I said, is going to be opposed. And so this requires constant vigilance. Your vigilance is necessary. Your preparedness is necessary. We would like to think that our country, with the military that we have, is always on alert. They're always having to be ready. You never know what's in the minds and the hearts of enemies and adversaries. And so now in the era of uh, this war on terror, uh, it's a totally different war without armies, without uniforms, uh, without a lot of the types of equipment uh, and masses of personnel. uh, It's a war on terror. And so this idea of being ready and prepared uh, is even more critical and more crucial. And we make a big mistake if we don't take this seriously. Christians who prioritize the secular, prioritize recreation over the spiritual, have no prayer life, no active Bible reading structure at work in their life, no involvement in ministry, the church, and such things, you're making a serious mistake because vigilance is necessary. First Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. That word to resist there means to withstand, to oppose, to set oneself against, and that is our posture in life. We're building. We like being involved in things that are exciting and inspiring and We can get passionate about a lot of things in life, but we are also warriors. We're also spiritual soldiers. We're also those who have to be vigilant, as that Scripture says, and offer resistance when we come under assault. And there are going to be some battles in your life that you're going to fight or have to fight alone. We can solicit the help of others if we have opportunity to do so. But what about when you're driving in your car, when you're running around town, when you're on your own somewhere? You're not with another individual. And you come under some kind of mental assault, spiritual assault, some temptation comes against your life. We all have those moments, don't we? We all have moments when we're by ourselves and we feel like we're going to lose it. You better be prepared then. Now, it's great if you can call somebody, Pastor, I need you to pray for me, or go over to somebody's house. But you can't always do that. If we can do that, great. But the point I'm making here is you have to be equipped and trained and ready and prepared to fight at all times, at any time, even when you are alone, when there's no one else on site to fight the battle for you. In the description in Ephesians chapter 6 of the armor of God, it's very personal. It's a helmet, it's a shield, it's a sword, it's a breastplate, it's a belt, it's shoes that you have to put on to protect yourself. You may be with an army of people, and if they can, they'll help you. But you have to be protected yourself. As a wife, your husband is there to cover you, pray for you, help you, and provide for you. But you better have your own prayer life. You better have your own revelation that is streaming from the Word of God by virtue of your daily Bible reading. You better be prepared because your husband is not standing. Hopefully, he's off working somewhere. He's not going to be hanging around the house all day to fight your battles for you. A good soldier has a motive. And that motive is that we fight for others. We fight to preserve what God's doing in our lives for sure. Some of our fighting is self-protection, self-preservation. We're fighting to preserve our salvation. Fight the good fight, the Bible says. Work out your own salvation. We're fighting to preserve our salvation, We're battling against temptations and mental assaults that come against our minds and our hearts. We're fighting on behalf of our families and the salvation of our children and our loved ones. But we also fight for others. I know and you know that we can't do everything for others. At some point, people do have to take up their own cause uh, fight for themselves uh, but I can battle for others uh, and give them an advantage in their life that's why we pray that's why I ask Ernie to provide for me every week he's he's uh, uh he's a uh, 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 out there, uh, interacting with a lot more people than I do and that I can, and so I've told him uh, to send me a list every week, and that list uh, is between 50 and 60 uh, uh, people or families or situations. Uh, he sends it to me every Monday afternoon. Uh, I get that prayer list, uh, and it has your names, your situation, your family, uh, and that is on my prayer, and I work through that all week. I know that that prayer Whether you're aware I'm praying for you, we as a staff are praying for you or not, uh, that prayer list uh, is giving you an advantage when we pray for you. In verse 14, I love this verse. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. I want you to know that I'm fighting for you, and I want to know that you're fighting for me. We give each other an advantage. Galatians says, uh, 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 chapter 6, verse 2, uh, Bear one another's burdens uh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, let me help you carry the load that you're carrying. Uh, isn't that helpful? Do you not feel sometimes uh, you can't bear this burden by yourself? Uh, you can take the burden, uh, and just by talking to somebody else about it, uh, that person can pray. Uh, and by virtue of that conversation, uh, you're lightening the load on yourself. uh, And you're taking that burden and you're putting it on someone else. Uh, When someone says, thank you for letting me know, I'll be praying for you. Uh, You're going to leave with the burden uh, a little bit lighter. Uh, You're going to find yourself a little more able to cope with uh, and deal with the pressures that are coming against your life. If you're struggling with your calling, struggling with temptation, tell somebody who you know is going to pray for you. Now, I want to challenge you as I wind this down and we enter into this season of fasting and prayer, and my hope is always that something will be set in motion that will affect permanent change in your prayer life. Nehemiah had to assess the situation and act accordingly. He didn't choose to be attacked. He was attacked. He had to decide to fight back. Our challenge is building and battling. And the primary source that we utilize that strengthens us for every battle, that preserves the things that are valuable to us, is our prayer life. I can't fathom being a Christian without a prayer life. I know that you won't survive, and you're certainly your calling and your salvation won't survive, and you're going to find yourself losing a lot more battles than you win. You're simply, you know, it would be like uh, recruiting an army out of, um, uh, out of uh, with all due respect, out of Golden Corral after uh, the last meal has been served, and immediately sending them into the battle, and they haven't been trained. I mean, when we sent those soldiers on D-Day, June 6, 1944, uh, to storm the beaches of Normandy, uh, those young men were fit in shape. Uh, Their bodies were like steel. Uh, They had been making preparation, and they had been training, uh, and they were ready for that day. The church needs to be in training and readiness for every and any assault that may come against their lives. And that preparation, that training is accomplished in your prayer life. Without prayer, without daily laying hold of God, setting everything aside, crying out in desperation, without that actively at work, you'll not, you will not simply won't have the strength and you won't be in the spiritual shape to be able to fight the battles of life. Colossians 1.9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. In other words, they heard something and as a result of that, it was triggered prayer. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We expect that as we pray, things are going to shift in the battles that we're fighting. In the heart front of those battles, inside, in our home front. In the church, the assaults that come against the church. These assaults that come against the church, most of you don't know much about what we deal with on a staff level, but listen, they wear me out. If I don't pray, if I don't re-energize myself, if I don't get a hold of God every morning, I will be in a fetal position in the corner of my office by noon without any ability to cope with what we deal with. 2 Thessalonians says, finally, brethren, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church, and he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. They're under assault. They're facing stress and pressure, and it's coming against them. And he's saying, pray for us, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. So what we need to do, I think the very least we need to do at this altar tonight, is make a decision. We're going to make prayer our lifestyle. We're going to commit ourselves, or if you already have that in place, you're going to re- Recommit that in your life. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Jesus said, Be always in prayer. One of the things that... It's interesting that the disciples, as they watched Jesus, they never said, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to walk on water. That would be kind of cool. You know what they asked Him to teach them? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were watching him pray. They knew about the prayer of the Pharisees, how they acted when they prayed. And they saw something different in Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us that. That's what we want to know. That's what we want to learn. And my prayer is that that desire would be deposited in your heart and your life, and it would result in a renewed emphasis in your prayer life. Don't ever accept Anything in your life that is not of God without fighting back. Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There are people here tonight that do not know Christ as your Savior. You have not been born again. Sins have not been forgiven. You're living in frustration, in spiritual captivity, bound by habits, bound by emotion, bound by anger, bound by jealousy, whatever it is. Pride, uncleanness, immorality, sin. You'd like to change, but you haven't been able to manage to change. We know when we're doing wrong, but we can't stop. It's because there's a force that you have been subjugated by sin. Sin is not an act, it's a person, it's Satan. It's a spiritual force that takes control of our faculties. And you're here and you know, you may not know a lot about Christ, a lot about Christianity, but you know you're a sinner. You know you've done wrong and you've been wrong. You know you need to change. You know you need something to happen. Well, nothing's going to happen unless you take some action here tonight and say, you know what? I am a sinner. I know I'm lost. I need Christ. And I'm turning from my sin and receiving Him as my Savior. And I'm asking God to forgive me tonight. And I want to start life anew and afresh. Jesus said you must be born again. You've got to have a starting point where the old man dies and the new man rises up in newness of life. You've lived in sin long enough. It's destroyed your life long enough. It's worked against your interests long enough. You have no joy or peace or happiness or fulfillment. And you will not have those things outside of a relationship with Christ. And so if you're here tonight, you're not saved, you're not born again, you're not right with God. I want you to let me pray for you this evening. Think about it. I want you to let me pray for you tonight so that you can receive Christ as your Savior. And if that describes you, I want to ask you right now just to lift your hand up. Lift your hand right up. Put it right back down. All over this building, I need Jesus. I'm ready to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. Lift your hand right up and put it right back down in Jesus' name. Amen. All over this building, I want to repent. I'm ready to get my heart right. I've had enough of sin in my life. and I don't want to live this way anymore. It's destroyed my marriage, my family, my, my happiness, my joy, whatever... Whatever consequences happen, you can put an end to that tonight. They come into Christ. Lift your hand right up. Maybe you're backslidden. Very hard for a backslider sometimes to be honest about their condition. You're not moving forward in Christ. You're going the wrong way. Just stop stopping fighting back. If you stop fighting back, Then the calling leeches out. No more passion for our calling. Then our love for Christ. Then all of a sudden we're diverted. We're distracted. We're not interested in spiritual things anymore. You're backslidden or backsliding. I think both of those need a response tonight. Sometimes backsliding... Isn't the consequence of sin, at least not in the beginning, it's just the consequence sometimes uh, you quit fighting, you quit guarding, you quit contending, you quit protecting things in your life that are valuable and meaningful. Would you lift your hand right now? All over this building, in Jesus' name, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I'm ready to repent. I know I need forgiveness. I know I need God's love. All right, while our heads are bowed, if you're a visitor tonight, that's okay. We are appreciative of you being here, but I'm asking tonight for a unanimous response at the altar. It shouldn't be a hard altar call for all of us to answer tonight. God, I'm fighting back. Maybe you are already fighting, but this is going to re-energize you and it encourages you. I mean, the children of Israel, all the odds were against them. The task was beyond their ability. The enemies were stronger than they. This had gone on like this for a hundred years. Maybe you've been dealing with your issue for a long time and you've just thought fighting's too hard. Why bother even starting to rebuild? If we rebuild, the enemy's going to come and tear it down again. Nehemiah was determined. David, when he went out on the battlefield against Goliath, was determined. No, we're not settling for this. We're not letting the enemy dictate what's happening in my family, in my finances, in my church. We are going to fight back. Every Christian has to be a builder, but also a battler, a saint, but also a soldier. And that's what we need to determine here at this altar. I want us all to stand. I want to ask you to come and find a place to pray let 's not have any music right now okay let 's just all pray. I want all of you laying hold of God for a few moments we 're going to have the first of our prayer meetings right now at this altar tonight. I want you to start fighting tonight for your calling and your destiny and your family and your marriage and and and, and your and Uh, Everything valuable uh, that you're seeing slip away from you, perhaps. Uh, The devil has broken through uh, and is robbing your family, uh, infiltrating your situation and your circumstances. Uh, And we are saying tonight, like Nehemiah did, uh, no, we're not accepting that. Uh, We're going to put a sword in one hand, uh, a tool in the other. Uh, We're going to battle and we're going to build and we're going to advance the kingdom of God. And the devil is no longer going to dictate how it's going to play out in our lives. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, God, I praise you. I love you. I need you so much tonight, Lord. God, we call upon your name because in your name there is power and there is dominion and there is authority and there is victory. I take dominion over all sickness and disease that is assaulting people's physical bodies and robbing people of finances and joy and peace and victory, Lord. I take dominion over every assault of hell against marriages, against families, against finances. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That's what Jesus said. There has to be an aggression of faith that drives us. Otherwise, enemies are going to rule. God, I praise You. I love You. I need You today. I exalt You and glorify You and worship You. For You are worthy, O God, and Your name is above every name, and there is no other given whereby we must be saved but in the name of Jesus. Oh, Riaravilara Bashoriara, yende de Alaravilara ba, coriara vilara mando ro ro bossei. Oh, Riaravilara Bashoriara, vilara mando ro ro bossei. Oh, God you're worthy to be praised, you're worthy to be glorified. You're worthy to be exalted, O God. O oh, Ria Ravila Rabashari, Ria Ravila Ramando. Yenderea Laravila Rabakari, Ravila Ramando, Rodoro Ravila Laravila Rabakari, Ravila Rabakori, Ravila Ramando, Rodoro Oh, God, I thank You and praise You and love You and exalt You and glorify You and worship You. Pour out the Holy Spirit tonight, God, over this altar, Lord God. Touch the hearts of all the saints, oh God. Encourage every believer, hallelujah, in faith. Strengthen every heart, oh God. Hallelujah. Let us know that we are equipped unto victory, that we have all might, power, authority, and dominion to prevail in life, O oh God. That we don't have have to allow the enemy to run his course in our lives but uh, we can stand against, fight back, push back, uh, and gain victory and gain territory uh, in our lives, O oh God. <speaking in> Rabashor, <Hebrew> Ramande. Yendere Alla Ravila Raba Koriya Ravila Ramando Rolo Robo se. la ala Ravila Raba sari Ravila Ramando Rolo Robo Se. Oh Rya Ravila Rabba Shori Ravila Rabakorya. Yende ala ra vila raba kasya ra vila raba shore yo rodo robo sai. Yende ala ra vila ramando rodo robo sala ravi la ramando rodo robo se roba. Oh, thank you so much, Lord, tonight. Thank you for the promises of God. Thank you for the assurance of victory. Thank you for the dominion. Thank you, Lord, that you have equipped us to fight back, Lord. Thank you for that. Oh, thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's all stand for a moment. And I want you to bow your heads. Tomorrow's a holiday. Be with family and all of that. But Tuesday, fasting. Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to ask everyone to participate in that if you're able to. If you are got you know, sick in your body or on medication of some kind or maybe pregnant, you can't fast, we accept that. But if you are at all able to, um, I want to solicit. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to solicit everyone that can to fast with us, everyone that can to be in every prayer meeting, starting with tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, we're going to be praying at 8 a.m. And then the next prayer meeting will be Tuesday morning. And then the big church-wide prayer meeting will be Tuesday night at 7 and then Wednesday we have our normal prayer at six to nine uh, in the morning, and then before the service at six o'clock uh, on Wednesday night. And I want to challenge everyone that can possibly participate in the fast and be in every prayer meeting to do so. And if by virtue of schedule you may not be able to be in every prayer meeting, but you're gonna you're gonna do. Everything you can to cooperate with every feature of this time of fasting and prayer. I want everyone just to raise your hand right now if you're all in with us. Amen. Nearly every hand raised. Amen. I want you to raise your hand high before God. I'm committing myself to this. I'm investing myself. I want to be a part. I want to be involved. Amen. God is good. Father, seal this word in every heart here today. As we collectively together determine, Lord, we're going to fight back. We're not settling for loss. We're not settling for defeat. We're not settling for anything in our lives that is not of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's give God praise tonight. Hallelujah. Rabila Rabasho, Ria Rabila Rabasha, Ria Rabila Ramando, Rodoro Rabadara Vila Ramando.
1: Yes. Giving, uh, to you and thus saith the Lord: uh, that this isn't your, this isn't your fight, uh, but this is my battle. Thus saith God: uh, the Lord one will chase a thousand, uh, and two will put ten thousand to flight. Uh,
0: yes, Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Amen. We're going to just dismiss right now on that great note, that great word. Thank God for that tonight. So prayer tomorrow morning at eight. Have a great time tomorrow. And then we're at it for serious prayer and fasting Tuesday and Wednesday. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We want to go rejoicing, thanking God for all that he's done. I want to ask if Jackie Hout would close the service in prayer. Thank God for speaking to our hearts here today. Amen. God bless you. Go rejoicing. Take time to bless one another as you're dismissed tonight.